Chapter 2 Changes That evening, the four of them sat around the table in the small, cosy kitchen. You're the best cook in the world, Eily, declared Michael, helping himself to some more stew. Peggy noticed that Eily barely touched her own food. It was so frustrating for her, baking and cooking, and then at the end of the day having so little to show for her hard work. But customers were thin on the ground. A boy from the butchers in the main street had left in a sheet left in a sheet of figures, another overdue account, and the flour barrel was only a third full. I'm working at the big house tomorrow afternoon and evening, Peggy, so you'll have to give Nano a hand with the shop, said Eily. Peggy nodded, no running off or forgetting about it. Is there no chance of a job for you there? asked Michael. If there was any kind of kitchen job going, it would be mine, but you know yourself it's hard enough for them to keep the staff they already have. Well, let's be grateful for the few hours of work you do get there when they're extra busy, urged Nano. Oh, I'm going daft. I nearly forgot to tell you, Nano. I met the landlord up at the cattle market. He said he'd drop into the shop within the next day or two, said Michael. Billy Kelly? What would he want? Nano was worried. Is it about the rent, do you think? Peggy was just dying to talk about the notice on the dresser. Not tonight, mouthed Eileen. Michael disappeared off to help a friend with, with the milking and Nano got up from the table and wandered into the empty shop. It's the only place I can find time to think. Eily ran upstairs to change. Peggy whistled as she cleared up and brushed the floor. Hearing a tap on the small window, she stopped and ran to the door. Good evening, Peggy. Come on in, John. She'll be down in a minute. The young farmer stepped in and sat down near the range to wait for Eily. Out of the corner of her eye, Peggy studied him. He was tall and kind of handsome with thick black curls. His hands and face were tanned and weather-beaten from working out in the fields, and although his clothes were clean, his jacket needed patching and his shirt was frayed. He was very quiet, but Eileen seemed to be mad about him. Young love, that's what Nano always whispered when she saw them together. Eileen smiled and put on her shawl when she saw John Powers. We're going up the town for a bit of a walk. Will you finish up here, Peggy? And don't forget to warm some milk later to help Nano sleep. I'll be fine, said Peggy, smirking, watching them walk arm in arm down the lane. Eily deserved some happiness. Lacer Peggy tiptoed into the darkened shop. It was small and clean. On one wall, the shelves were stacked with jars of preserves, chutneys and jellies and jams. The other counter was for the daily bake. Soda bread, brown bread, wheaten loaves, scones and fancy bread. The smell of the hot bread would fill the shop and the street. There was a small drawer unit which held fancy bakery items like glazed cherries, sugared violets, marzipan fruits. Nana was sitting in her old chair rocking backwards and forwards. She always did that when she was worried or troubled. The next afternoon the shop bell rang. Peggy looked through the kitchen door and saw Eily talking to Billy Kelly, the landlord. She mentioned to Peggy to get Nano. Auntie Nano, come quick. Mr. Kelly's in the shop. He wants to talk to you. Fetch me my good shawl. Yes, the black one, pet. And will you tidy my hair a bit at the back there, please? Peggy took the bristle, bristle brush, redid the bun of hair and fixed it tight with an extra few pins. Nana was anxious but managed to appear serene as she walked into the shop shook Mr. Kelly by the hand and sat down in her chair. 
girls, will one of you fetch this good man a cup of tea? And how about a slice of that fresh apple and cinnamon tart you made this morning, Eileen? That would be grand, Miss Murphy, thank you, replied Mr. Kelly. He was a tall, thin, nervous type of man, and he paced around the room a few times before finally sitting down. I don't exactly know where to start, he mumbled. The beginning, tis usually the best place, smiled Nano, sensing his nervousness. Well, Miss Murphy, I've come along today to ask you if you'd be interested in buying this piece of property outright. You've been a tenant for nigh on 40 years. Nano let out her breath with a gasp. Oh, Mr. Kelly, you must know that if I had enough savings, I'd have bought the shop long ago. Miss Murphy, the asking price would not be too high. I know myself the roof is sagging and in need of repair, he pleaded. Isn't there any way you could afford it? Nano didn't say a word, but just shook her head slowly from side to side. Peggy passed her a cup of weak, weak tea. She sipped it and stared at the man beside her. Mr. Kelly, will I tell you something, she said at last. You are the living image of your late father, Tom. He was a good man too. My father was fond of you and your sister, and we always had the finest cakes in town on the rent day. He tried to smile. Miss Murphy, you can see yourself how bad things are in the town. I'm a married man myself with four young children, but even with five pieces of property, things are not good. People can't afford to pay their rent. Nana began to apologise. Are we late with our rent again? No, listen, Miss Murphy, that's not what I'm here about. The truth is I am selling off all my interests in town and moving to Dublin with my family. I have a brother who has his own business there. He stopped. What will become of us? Are we going to lose the roof over our heads? What about the three children? I'm sorry, there's nothing more I can do. I need to raise funds myself. The O'Donnells and the Kennys have accepted assisted passage to America. I'm not the only landlord forced to do this. A couple of us are trying our best to look after our tenants, so letters of application for a shift voucher have been delivered to many in this part of the town. Eileen and Peggy stared at Nano. Her face was as pale as snow and her lips looked blue. It came yesterday, Peggy said, and ran to the kitchen dresser to get it. Nano stared at it blankly. So you want to pack me off on one of those old coffin ships to the new world, is that it? No, Miss Murphy. It's just that many people want to go to America. We've only offering to help them. The youngsters might consider it, he finished off lamely. How long, ha How long have I got left? asked Nano. It will take a bit of time to find a buyer, though there is someone interested. I suppose a few weeks? Nano stood up. I'm not blaming you, Mr. Kelly, and I'm only glad that my poor sister Lena never lived to see this day. Thank you for coming to see me. Peggy watched as the landlord bade his embarrassed goodbye. Are you all right, Nano? asked Eileen. The old lady stood up. I'm away to my bed. We'll talk about this later. She muttered under her breath, obviously exhausted from the strain. Peggy and Eileen looked at each other. They both knew that closing the shop was enough to break their great aunt's heart. It was almost midnight. Eileen, Michael and Peggy sat by the range, arguing back and forth about their future. Why can't we all go to America, questioned Peggy. That's the simplest thing to do. Our passage will be paid. That's no answer, Peggy, said Eileen sternly. Do you think poor Nano would survive such a voyage? Peggy, defeated, shook her head and added a whispered, no. Auntie Nano and Auntie Lena took us in when we had no one else or no home. You remember, both of you, 
the state of the three of us when we arrived here, after weeks on the road, and how the two of them cared for us and got us well again. They could have put us in a workhouse or orphan's home, but instead we became their family. They fed us even though food was scarce, and they brought us up. Never, never would I leave poor Nano. She's all on her own now. It's our turn to look after her. Eileen's cheeks blazed. Maybe if I went, I'd get a good job fairly easily and be able to send some money home for the rest of you, suggested Michael. I could work too, added Peggy. I'm all but finished school, and you know well there are no jobs here. They say there's plenty of jobs across the ocean. Eileen started to shake her head. No, no, I don't want you to go. The three of us have been together always. We can't split up now. Peggy's only a baby. Who'd look after her? I'm not a baby. I'm 13 and old enough to be in service, cried Peggy indignantly. Look, Eileen, if you're going to stay and look after Nano, you'll need money, said Michael. If there were jobs here, we'd get them, but there aren't. So what else can we do, asked Peggy. Eileen, you know Peggy's right. The two of us could go to America. I'm getting fed up hanging around here day in, day out, helping at the market sometimes, or with milking, or odd farm jobs. I want a proper job. Eileen, I'll fill in the application anyway for Peggy and myself. It won't do any harm. The Malloys are going, and the O'Caseys, so we wouldn't be on our own, Peggy began. I need time to think about it. We all have to try and work out what's the best thing to do. Come on away to bed, or we'll be exhausted in the morning. Let's all say a prayer that something will be sorted out, said Eileen. Two days later, Eileen told Michael there might be a vacancy for him up at Castle Taggart House. A wide grin spread across his face. Maybe he could get a job at last. Eileen had been helping in the kitchens at a ball in the big house the night before. As usual, she asked the cook if there were any vacancies. The woman shook her head. Not unless you want to help with the horses in the stables, she joked. The stable boy has just left after getting a bad kick from a mare and the head groom wants someone good and gentle with animals and unafraid of horses. Eileen straight away mentioned her brother and his way with animals and love of horses. Michael couldn't believe it. Horses, working with them, grooming them, feeding them, cleaning them and maybe riding them. It would be a miracle if he could get it. Stable boy, stable boy. No matter how often he said it, it sounded good. Are you sure, Eileen? His sister, his older sister nodded. I'm not codding you, Michael. Honest to God, it's a great opportunity. Eileen, I'll do my best to get that job. It's all I ever wanted. Peggy smiled. Michael was so lucky. But what could happen to their plans if he got the job? She wondered. Nano blessed herself. Thanks be to God, she muttered. But added, we mustn't count our chickens before they're hatched. Peggy loved her aunt and her old sayings. Eileen seemed embarrassed. She poured out another cup of tea. Well, I've a bit more news, she looked up. John has asked me to marry him. Three pairs of eyes fixed on Eileen's glowing face. You said yes, Eileen. Oh, you did say yes, urged Peggy, squeezing her sister's hand. Eileen shyly tossed her back her long, fair hair. Well, I suppose, sort of. There are lots of things to be considered. However, it was clear to them all that Eileen was brimming over with happiness. How are John and his father managing up on the farm, asked Nano. I hope poor old Josh hasn't had one of his turns recently. Everyone in Castle Taggart knew about Joshua Powers. At the height of the Great Famine, he had lost his wife, two sons and young daughter to famine fever. Joshua roamed his fields, flinging sods of turf and stones at the sky and cursing God for what he had done. He spent five days like that until John, his eldest son, got him calmed down. 
However, from time to time, the memory would come back and he would rant and rave and curse and wander the fields again. Locally, he was known as Cursing Josh Powers. Nana looked at Eily, Michael and Peggy and thanked the heavens that God had sent those special children to herself and Lena. Large tears filled her eyes and she took out her big white hanky and blew her nose loudly. Eily looked over at her. Auntie Nano, don't tell me you're crying with happiness. Aren't you the silly one? Eily put her arms around the old lady, sensing her sadness. Don't fret. Power's cottage may be a bit small, but there'll be space for you. You don't think I'd run off and leave you on your own? Nano, there's a little room that used to be John's sister. It'll be yours and Peggy will have to settle bed in the kitchen. Peggy, who had been dreaming, suddenly snapped out of it. A settled bed up at Powers Farm, miles from town and friends, no chance of a job, only helping Eilie with the house. Peggy just managed to hold her tongue. Peggy stood out in the yard. She dragged the soaking wet clothes from the bucket and started to stretch them across the rope that was strung across the cobbled yard. Michael came out to join her. Are you going to give me a hand, Michael, she joked. Michael bent down and dragged out an old bedsheet. He let the water drip all over his shoes. Michael, Peggy stared at him. What's wrong with you? Fling it up on the line before you soak yourself. Peg, I want to talk to you. She looked at him. Something was up, she could tell. Spit it out, Michael, whatever it is. Michael blushed red as a turkey cock. I got the job, the one up at Castle Taggart House. Peggy stared at her brother. She felt betrayed. I'll be living in over the stables. Imagine they have 20 horses and I'll be helping to look after them all. Oh, Michael, Peggy swallowed hard. I'm so happy for you. I never believed it would happen. All my life I've loved animals and wanted to work with them. You remember when I left school how hard I tried to get work on a farm. I thought it would never happen. And now... Peggy pinned a smile across her face. Michael stopped and looked straight right at her. Peggy, I suppose I'm letting you down. There's no need for me to go to America now. I never wanted to go anyway. I've got my chance here at home and I'll grab it. I know, Michael. So now I'm on my own. Don't be cross with me, Peggy. I'm real sorry, but this is my dream come true. Working with horses. We all have dreams and must follow them. So Peggy, you must do what you want. Michael lifted the empty enamel bucket. Eily and Nano think it's grand. In two days time, I'll be living at the big house. The next day, a brown envelope was delivered addressed to Michael and Margaret O'Driscoll. It contained another notice and two vouchers. The silver printed vouchers could be used at Masters and McCabe's shipping office at Queenstown as payment for passage to America. On receipt of said voucher, a ticket would be issued to the bearer. The notice gave details about emigration and advice on what to bring and wished the applicants luck. Michael glanced at his voucher, shrugged his shoulders and pushed it back in the envelope. He had other things on his mind. Every hour or so, Peggy would take her voucher out and look at it. Passage to America. The words burned in her mind. Eilie, please, I could go on my own. I'd get a job straight away and I'd send money home, Peggy pleaded. No, no, you're too young. You'd never survive in a strange country on your own. Eilie kept answering back. But I want to go. It's not just what you want. This is something I want. At 13, you think it's important what you want, you little devil. At barely 13, you saved Michael and me from the workhouse and brought us all the way from Dunneen to Castle Taggart. You pushed us and made us walk and got food for us and forced us to survive the famine, Peggy reminded her. That was different. I had no choice, Eileen admitted. 
But I feel I've no choice. The shop will close down. You and John will be getting married. I've seen Powers Cottage. There won't be space for me there. Nana is the one that needs a home. You've been trying to get work for the last two years, and if you couldn't, how do you think I'd ever get a job? Peggy's question hung in the air. Over the next few days, she kept on asking and asking. She stuck out her chin and used every ounce of O'Driscoll's stubbornness to get her way. Nano, if you were young, what would you do? She forced her great aunt to answer. Nano rocked backwards and forwards and after much consideration grudgingly said, I tell you something, Peggy, if my sister Lena was still alive and the two of us were in our heyday and young, we would be the first ones to take a passage to America. Such a chance of an adventure we'd never have missed. She patted Peggy on the hand. I'll talk to Eily, the old lady assured her. That night, there was a meeting in the back kitchen of Murphy's Bakery. Peggy stayed up in the bedroom as down below, Nano, Eily and John Powers argued and discussed her future. She listened to the sing-song of their voices, wondering what the outcome would be. Eily's eyes were red-rimmed and her face was blotchy when she slowly climbed the stairs and came in to sit on Peggy's wooden bed. Well, Peggy, Peggy raised herself up in bed. They hugged each other. Eily looked tired. Yes, the answer is yes. She tossed the envelope onto the beige blanket. Are you angry with me? asked Peggy. No, pet, I'm not. Eily sat down on the corner of the bed. I'm just sad. Sad for myself, I suppose. I'll miss you. It'll be so lonely. Michael will be gone. And then if you're on the far side of the world, she trailed off. Why do you have to go, Peggy? Don't you think you'd be happy with the rest of us on the farm? Peggy stared at the strands of wool in the blanket and didn't answer. Eily had begun to cry. It's just so sad. Oh, Peggy, you're my little sister. How can I ever let you go? I can't bear parting. I know how you feel, Peggy said. Do you remember the day that mother left home to look for father? Eily looked puzzled but nodded. I wasn't even seven, but I can remember that awful day as if it were yesterday. I knew as she walked down that little road that she would never come back. Peggy, none of us knew that. She was going to the roadworks to search for father. We all thought she'd come back, said Eily. No, I never believed it. I knew it would be the last time I'd see her. We never saw her again. Sometimes I pretend it's that day again, so just so I can remember her. Oh, Peggy, you poor little pet, we all miss her and father. Day in, day out, for the first two years, every time that shop bell downstairs rang, I'd run into the shop just in case one of them would be standing there looking for us. I did the same, whispered Peggy. Sometimes I'm scared, Eily, that I won't remember them. I even tried to think what mother looked like to remind myself. Eily got up from the bed, picked up an oval-shaped mirror and held it in front of Peggy's face. Look, Peggy, look at yourself. You look just like her. Peggy stared at the round face under a mop of thick chestnut-coloured hair, the two big brown eyes and neat, slightly tilted nose, the freckles and small white teeth. When you go away, Peggy, what will I have to remind me of you and mother? sighed Eily. Peggy hugged her. You're the most important person in the world to me, Eily. You've loved me like a mother, yet you're my sister and my best friend. Nothing will change that, she whispered. Peggy, I can't understand you. Aren't you frightened about going? About the ship and America and being on your own? asked Eily. No, no, I remember things that were worse, a lot worse, said Peggy firmly. I'll talk to the schoolmaster tomorrow, said Eily. And do you know Nell Malloy? I heard herself and her family are going to America too. 
I'll call up and talk to her. She might keep an eye on you. And I suppose we'd better bake a mountain of oat cakes as they're meant to be the best thing to last the long journey.